listening to the Gesher Podcast, the place where the Jewish and evangelical Christian communities come together to talk about the things that matter. I'm your host, Ty Perry, ministry representative for the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry here in sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks for joining me. What do you think of when you hear the word gospel? Some may think of it as a description of something that is absolutely true, as in what she said is the gospel truth. Or maybe you think of the written narratives, the gospels found in the New Testament. Well, today we're going to clarify what the gospel is and what its implications are for me and for you. I'm joined on this episode by Pastor Charles Carr. Pastor Carr has been a minister for more than 40 years and currently serves as a deacon and Sunday school teacher at First Baptist Church in Cassidy, Michigan, and as an itinerant minister throughout Michigan's Thumb. Pastor Carr, welcome to the Gesher Podcast. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you for inviting me. What a real blessing this is. Well, I wanted to have you on the show today because the term gospel is thrown around a lot. Uh, it's one of those terms in the Christian world we use and don't always define it. Uh, real clearly. So I thought I'd ask you, first of all, what does the word gospel actually mean? Good question. Actually, it literally means good news. And that's in its its barest, you know, barest simplicity. It means good news. You, you said in your introduction that some people would attribute the gospel to the first four books of the New Testament. And certainly those are gospels. They are the good news of Jesus and his coming. But the gospel is certainly not limited to to just the life of Christ uh, as presented in the gospels. Uh, Good news is the whole message, we could say literally of the Bible, but in particular, the focus is the New Testament and what Jesus Christ did uh, when he died on the cross and rose again. What's the content of that message? So we have this good news. what is the news about? And I guess it would also imply that if there's good news, there's bad news as well. Well, you must have been reading my notes because (laughs) the next thing I have is what, what the gospel, what is the gospel message? And um, in saying what the gospel message is, there is before good news, there's often bad news. Um, We've had some pretty, about a month ago, we had quite a cold snap. And um, it was very cold here in Michigan. You know how that can be. And we heard, I heard the news report and it said, next week, it's going to be up in the 40s. That was good news. But before we got up into the 40s here in Michigan, uh, we had sub-zero temperatures. That was the bad news. So the bad news is some very important news for us. And that is that all have sinned. Let me begin with an Old Testament passage uh, or verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20. And it says this, for there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That's pretty inclusive, isn't it? And here's one from Jeremiah, the great Jeremiah, the prophet, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's pretty bad news. Let me flip now to the New Testament, because our Lord Jesus said some, uh, some remarkable words in reference to this as well. He said, in speaking to the Pharisees and to the people of his day, Pharisees being religious leaders in Israel uh, in his time, he said, it is not that which cometh out of the man that defiles him from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts, 
adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit. And now an Old Testament, an old King James word, lasciviousness, that is lustfulness, and, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride. All these come from within and defile the man. So what our Lord is telling us is that sin is, is essentially an inward problem that we all have. Of course, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Now, it adds the good news that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 23. One of the problems I see, though, in our culture, and probably not exclusive to us, um, is that people don't like to think of themselves as sinners. Many years ago, there was a song. It came out in 1969 or 1970. Um, it was written by a man named Norman Greenbaum, and it's called The Spirit in the Sky. This, this is a pop song of the day. Some of the words go like this. Never been a sinner. I never sinned. I've got a friend in Jesus. So you know that when I die, he's going to take me up to the spirit in the sky. Now, I'm not just here to beat up on uh, Mr. Norman Greenbaum's song, but Tyler, nothing could be farther from the truth. But we know that as Christians. I think we know that from experience. I think our, our, our humanness, we know that there is something deeply flawed. First, the song says clearly, I haven't sinned, but all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, furthermore, I always, as I've meditated, I don't listen to this song, I can't really say, but as I've heard it, it always struck me that if you're not a sinner, then you don't need Jesus. And it's, it's the realization that there is something deeply flawed within me. And it's just not cultural problems. Oh, yes, it's out there. But it's what I am from within. And um, the, third, the last thing I would say just about that little song is that um, I don't need Jesus as a friend. He's not my friend if I, don't, if I see myself as righteous apart from him. Again, not trying to beat up on Mr. Greenbaum, but I think that that song is very reflective of popular culture in our day. I think you'd probably agree. Well, and, and two, with, on that note, is um, you, you mentioned the passage in Jeremiah we don't like to think of our hearts as wicked or deceitful. I mean, that's, that's a message of the culture is that, um, you know, someone may do something bad, but basically they have a good heart. It sounds like Jeremiah is saying exactly the opposite. It sounds exactly like that, doesn't it? And indeed, that is exactly what he's saying is that, and what is interesting, and I don't have the passage right in front of me, but after he says, the heart is deceitful, deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The next verse says, I, the Lord, try the hearts. Mm. So there is one that knows my heart better than I do. And that is the Lord Jehovah. And that's a powerful thing. Well, to me, that's a good transition uh, to, well, then what is the good news of the gospel? And the good news, I would like to say, first of all, Tyler, is that God takes the initiative in reconciling his sinful creatures to himself. I love it that the, the God of the Bible doesn't wait for us to clean up our act or to turn over a new leaf. Um, from a personal testimony standpoint, Ty, I tried that many times. Way back when I was in high school, tried to stop sinning. I couldn't do it. 
thankfully, God took the initiative. And here's one of my favorite gospel verses in the New Testament. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us. In other words, God, the God of creation, the God of the Bible, he is a God of reconciliation. He wants to bring us back to himself. And that gives me hope. So as a man who has the the malady of sin in his heart, that gives me hope. I can't reconcile myself to God. In fact, Ty, just to divert for a second, every religion in the world is about man devising an attempt to reconcile himself to God. But the good news is that God is working to reconcile sinners to himself. That is good news, isn't it? It is. I've I've heard it said, given the illustration, that well, all of the world's religions are essentially pictured in a mountain where God is at the top and the religions try to get up the mountain to God. And we often find comfort in saying, look, you know, basically they're all the same. They're all going to the same place. And that's right. They are going to the same place, but it's not to the top of the mountain because the, the Bible says that God came down off the mountain to deal with man. Uh, he came to us and I love that picture. I love it too. Um, and in, in reference to your, your statement about everyone trying to go up years ago before my father was saved, I became a Christian before he did. And uh, one time, of course, I, I was a zealous Christian trying to share the gospel with my dad, which was very hard because here's the man that I'd always uh, looked up to and he instructed me. And now I was trying to lead him to a a viewpoint on God and Christ. And I said something about the fact that, that he was a sinner. And he said, well, yes, of course, but he hedged it with this. But he said, but we all are. There's sort of a comfort in numbers. If I can say, yeah, Ty, I'm not perfect, but hey, let's face it, Joe down the street isn't either. But I'm not going to be compared to Joe down the street. I'm going to be compared to Jesus Christ. Right. But I love this passage. If you don't mind me coming back to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Uh, here we see God substituting himself on the cross for the sinner. It says he was made sin. He was not made a sinner. And that's very consistent. Now, that's a New Testament passage, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. But it, it almost mirrors perfectly the Old Testament passage, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Getting back to our point, God looks at the believer as though he was as righteous as Jesus. He treats me as though I had lived his life and treats him as though he had lived my life. This is substitution. This is vicarious substitution of Christ, the sinless one, for the sinner. And it makes it tie so that God is just 
as well as justified in saving us. Let me, let me illustrate this. Several years ago, and over my, I've not only been a pastor, but I have been a respiratory therapist for nearly 40 years and uh, have sought to minister in, in my hospitals as well. Several years ago, I was talking to a good Muslim doctor friend that just enjoyed his friendship immensely. And uh, I said to, in fact, both he and his wife are, were physicians at my hospital at the time. Uh, I said to both of the, his wife and, his, and him at different times, you are Muslim, tell me, how will you get to heaven? How do you deal with your sin problem? And both of them, interestingly enough, looked at me and said, that's a good question. And then said, um, well, we try to keep the laws of the Muslim faith. We try to do good works. And we try to, you know, we, we try to do what's right. And, and I said, but you recognize, as your faith does recognize, that you are sinners. Yes, we recognize that. How then can God be both just and also merciful to the sinner? He has to judge sin, but he loves us with an everlasting love. How can he do that? And dear, these dear people, God bless them, they both looked at me with that, with that deer in the headlights look of, I don't know. And I said, I took the opportunity then, Ty, to say, may I share with you the Christian answer to this? And they said, please do. And I shared with them the very message that I'm, that I'm telling you, that the substitutionary death of God's son and his resurrection. And it's interesting because we see that even in the, even in the Torah, you see where God, he does not want his, his own people, the, the Israel, to have to pay the penalty for their sin. He covers their sin every year with sacrifices on Yom Kippur. And of course, that's every year they have to do this. But then, you know, from a Christian perspective, I think that that points forward to when the ultimate lamb, uh, if you will, comes, and that's the Mashiach from Isaiah 53. And he lays down his life vicariously for us. And it's once for all. It's it's over. He doesn't have to die every year. What a what a beautiful picture of God's grace. Oh, you you've said it. There absolutely um, so much in the Old Testament just is a forward look to the Messiah. Those lambs, those bullocks, which could never take away sin, cover it temporarily, yes, by the grace of God, but could never take it away, never deal with it. And of course, Jesus has done that. Now, let me expand on this a little bit, because I think when you really start defining the gospel, you have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein you stand, by which, ye all, well, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, verse 1 really sets up um, Paul's definition of the gospel 
And then the other verses just explain it. I delivered unto you what I, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. So he died. He literally died. He did not swoon on the cross. He literally then was buried. I think Paul is emphasizing that to say that he didn't revive, as is sometimes theorized today, in the coolness of the tomb. He literally, fully, and completely died for our sins. Again, God treated him on the cross. We like to say punished him on the cross for what we did and now treats us as, as him. Uh, that he was resurrected three days later, not resuscitated. Again, I mentioned that I've worked in uh, the hospital for hospitals for nearly 40 years. I have seen many resuscitations. That's part of my job. But all of those people will eventually, if they have not already, will eventually die. Even though we brought them, so to speak, back to life, we resuscitated them. That's a huge difference between uh, Jesus's death and resurrection, not resuscitation. I like to say it this way. He arose on the resurrection side of death, never to die again. And the, the gospel is that the Corinthians believed this to be true and stood and stand in that faith. And now let me just read something to you, which this is from Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. Corey's aunt, uh, Tanty Jans, is, is nearing her death. And uh, the doctor has said she's got a couple weeks to live. And Corey, her sister, Betsy, her mother, and I think one of the other aunts, as well as her father, are going to, to Tanty Jans to break the news to her. And um, father, her, Corey Tindlin's father, is, Casper, is speaking, and he says, my dear sister-in-law, there is a joyous journey which each of God's children sooner or later sets out on. And Jans, some must run to their father empty-handed, but you will run to him with hands full. Tanty Ann said, all your clubs, your writings, said Mama. The funds you've raised, said Betsy. For many talks I began, but our well-meant words were useless. In front of us, the proud face crumpled. Tanty Jans put her hands over her eyes and began to cry. Empty, empty, she choked at last through her tears. How can we bring anything to God? What does he care for our little tricks and trinkets? And then we listened in disbelief as she lowered her hands and with tears still coursing down her face whispered, dear Jesus, I thank you that we must all come to you with empty hands. I thank you that you have done all, all on the cross and that all we need in life or death is to be sure of this. Ty, I just think that's so powerful. Absolutely wonderful quote, which to me just sums up the truth that Christ has done all, all on the cross. And it is simply, as, as Paul says to the Corinthians, wherein you stand, this is what they're counting on. It, it hardly could be any more beautiful. You know, uh, Pastor Carr, one of the things that is difficult for people, even people who are raised in a church or, as you mentioned, a mosque, a synagogue, is grasping when, when we're faced with this good news, is that there is nothing we can do, that anything that we do is 
The Tanakh says that it's like filthy rags in God's eyes. So what is the relationship between good works? You, you listed this uh, Tanja Jan's good work. She did a lot of good things. And as as Christians, we don't want to... Um, you know, just be people who who think, well, you know what, I'm going to heaven and that's all that matters. I know that good works play a role. Can you talk a little bit about that? Where do good works fall in uh, God's plan for salvation and, and the Christian life? Great question, Ty. And you're right. It is a question that that, str- that many folks struggle, struggle with, especially, and I grew up in a home of, of, of a mom and dad. They were depression children. They grew up with nothing. And my, my dad's words to me were, nobody owes you anything. If you're going to have anything, you have to work for it. Now, that is great. Those are great ethics for, for life. But they don't work when it comes to salvation. Let me give you the verse that comes to my mind. <clears throat> this is Ephesians, Paul's New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, that sets it up very powerfully. How do we obtain salvation? It is not by works. If I could say, and I've said this many times to to folks that I've shared the gospel with, if I could go and stand before God and say, this is what I've done, this is what I've done, this is what I've done, I have earned salvation, I've earned forgiveness, it would no longer be of grace. But salvation is clearly of grace, not by works. Nobody could ever boast to God and say, I deserve to go to heaven based on what I have done. If we've established that salvation is by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, we can can now add verse 10 in that same context. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, that is indeed salvation. It is the order. We don't work in order to obtain salvation. We obtain it. We, we believe it by grace, through we, by faith, through grace. And then as a result of what God has done in our lives, we serve him. Yeah, you, we can do a great disservice to the gospel if we think that our good works are going to somehow please God in addition to what the Messiah did. Yeah. But it is out of that love for him and that that gratitude for what he's done for us that we do good works later on after we have been saved by the Messiah. Who is the gospel for? I've heard different uh, people say, oh, you know, I could never become a Christian because I'm I'm too bad. Or, um, well, you know, I'm Muslim. I, I, I grew up in a Muslim home. I could never become a Christian. Who is the gospel for? Wonderful question. And the best answer that I can give is one of the most popular and well-known verses in the word of God. And that is John 3.16. And you know it, and probably many of your listeners do, for God so loved the world, that is, again, God taking the initiative, that he gave his only begotten son, that is, Jesus gave him for our salvation on the cross. And here's the key word, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love the whosoever of the gospel. Whosoever 
will believe this message can be saved. Uh, no matter how bad your sins, no matter how checkered your past, you can be saved. Now, the gospel, you and I would say it is the most inclusive message there is. Everyone's a sinner and anyone can be saved. But in the culture that we live in, um, telling someone what you believe about spiritual things, theological things, religious things, is often viewed as hateful or as uh, intolerant. And we're often told uh, the old adage, you know, you can talk about anything except religion and politics. Well, our, our society is inundated with political messages, so I think that one's out. But religion is still one of those topics that people get uncomfortable with. And I know um, some people would say that it's disrespectful or even unloving to share the message of Jesus with someone who clearly doesn't believe it. How would you respond to someone who says that? I would start off by saying, um, and I have actually shared this little story from a, a man named Penn Gillette. Um, he is from the comedy act, uh, Penn and Teller. Uh, he is a well-known atheist. And interestingly enough, he was at some event where a man very graciously, apparently, but very boldly, gave him a Gideon New Testament. And I'm just going to read what he says about this. Quote, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes and gave me the Bible. I've always said, now remember who's saying this. This is a man who is atheist and uh, that he doesn't believe that there is a God. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Now, that's just a big word for evangelism, trying to share their faith with others. I don't respect that at all, he says. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life or whatever, and you, you think that, and he's quoting your thoughts, well, it's not worth telling because it would be socially awkward, then how much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell that? Now, this is coming from an atheist. He concludes by saying about this man who gave him the Gideon New Testament uh, or a Gideon Bible, he cared enough about me to try to proselytize me and give me the Bible. That was a powerful statement to me about a person who recognized the very message we say, we believe in a heaven and a hell. We believe that people are going to hell. We believe that there is heaven available. Uh, and I would say on top of that thing, going back to the scriptures, Ty, um, the great commission is still in effect. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to all nations, Teach, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Uh, and lo, I am with you always. And, and that is really our calling. It's our calling as believers, because many would, would say, well, why can't Christians just believe what they want to believe and let everybody else alone? Uh, we've, we've probably all heard that. And certainly we would say that I want to be respectful to anybody. And if somebody says to me, I don't want to hear that, I say, okay, I, I can't force someone to hear it. I'm not going to be rude to them. But 
go again, the, the great commission still applies today. And what we see in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament is that God's people go out with God's message of salvation for anyone who will believe it. Penn, who is a Las Vegan, he's just a few miles from me. Um, he used the word proselytize, and I understand what he's saying. I think for myself, I like I've been asked, you know, well, do you proselytize people? And I usually say no because of the the connotations that come with that. You know, exactly what you just said. It 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 often comes across as a disrespectful thing where, you know, someone's like, "Listen, guy, I'm really not interested. I'm not," and and then you just keep hammering away at it. And so I always tell people, look, I don't do that, uh, but I am an, an evangelical Christian. I, I tell people what I believe, and uh, it's up to them whether they accept the Messiah, accept Christ or not. But, uh, but yeah, how I like that statement. How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them the message? It would be like having the cure to cancer and withholding it because uh, it's kind of an awkward conversation. Well, yeah, I don't want to make you embarrassed, Ty, so I don't want to share the gospel with you, you know, but that would be crazy. Well, Pastor, I want to um, move on here just with a couple other questions for you. You've used the word Christian, and you you mentioned um, just a little bit ago that you, you said, when I became a Christian. Well, to people in the Western world, the term Christian usually means uh, you're not Muslim, you're not Jewish, you're not an atheist, so, you know, you... I guess you're Christian, but what, biblically speaking, according to the New Testament, who is a Christian? A Christian is one who has put his trust, his belief in in the Lord Jesus's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of his sins. Paul, I think, described this so well in uh, in writing to the the Thessalonican church when he says about them, these believers who had turned to God, it says this, Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. A Christian is one who has made a decision in his life and has come to the point of belief in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. It is someone who has believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation begins in the heart, a heart of belief. Uh, Belief in what? The death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ for my sins. And then confession is made unto salvation. Um, So a Christian is is someone who, there is a point in time, maybe you don't know the date, uh, that's not so important, but there is a point in time where you've made a conscious, I guess you'd say decision. There's a point where you have called upon the Lord and asked him to forgive you and to, to express your faith. You've exercised faith in what Yeshua, what Jesus has done for you on the cross. It's a personal decision. The man that led me to Christ, it wasn't the focus on a prayer. You know, we often hear of the sinner's prayer, but it was the focus on, do you believe this with all your heart? And I said, yes, I do. I believe with all my heart will, and, and, he's, and, and then uh, I, I simply then bowed and called upon the name of the Lord, as Romans says in chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, Pastor Carr, I want to thank you for your time, and uh, thank you for talking about the gospel, uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, 
I think that this was clarifying and I, I hope it was to our listeners. And uh, I just appreciate your time today. So thank you. The term gospel has embedded itself in the vocabulary of Western civilization, but the content of that message is seldom understood and, unfortunately, is often poorly articulated. Pastor Charles Carr helped to clarify the meaning of the term, its message, and its implications for all people in all places at all times. I first heard the gospel as a little boy, and although I certainly did not understand the various theological terms, some of which we use today, I understood very simply the message of the gospel, that I was a great sinner against God, that the penalty for my sin was death, but that God, in his great love for me, sent Jesus the Messiah to die in my place, and that if I simply trusted in that, God would forgive me my sin and I would have eternal life. On January 3rd, 1996, I made that decision and called upon the name of the Lord, asking him to forgive me for my sin. Has my life been sinless since then? Not at all. Just ask my wife. But by God's grace, he is molding me and shaping me into the man he wants me to be, a man whose life looks a lot less like Ty Perry and a lot more like the Messiah Jesus. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, based on the promises of God, that I have eternal life. I hope you do too. You've been listening to the Gesher Podcast, the place where the evangelical and Jewish communities come together for conversations about the things that matter. I'm your host, Ty Perry. For more information about me, you can visit ty-perry.com. For further information about the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, visit foi.org. To ensure that you hear future episodes of the Gesher Podcast, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or another of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.